Hi everyone, I'm Josh, and this is The Emerald, Currents and Trends Through a Mythic Lens, the podcast where we explore an ever-changing world and our lives in it through the lens of myth, story, and imagination. The Emerald, all that's happening on this green jewel in space. Try this. Take a blank piece of paper. No, really, do it. I'll wait. We've got time. You can pause me if you like. Or if you're in the car, then follow along with your imagination and try it when you get home. Place the paper in your field of vision and stare at it for a while. Fix your gaze on it. What happens as you study its blankness? Perhaps some faint pattern starts to emerge, probably rather amorphous and vague and not really much of anything, not really leading the mind anywhere tangible. So perhaps the mind starts to wander a bit, to try to look beyond the page, or the eyes keep shifting trying to find a focal point, scanning the page to find some feature, some fibers or distortions to fix on. But see if you can move beyond that, just focus on its blankness. Kind of hard to do, focus on blankness. Inevitably, the mind starts wandering off. Now, take a pen and make a single round dot right in the center of the paper. Hold it up again and take a look. Where do your eyes go? Right to the dot. Immediately, it's like the focus is drawn there. The eyes are riveted to the dot. Even if you try to take your eyes away they will find themselves returning inevitably to that single point. As far as the eyes wander, that wandering will now be defined by how far they wandered in relation to that dot, and everything that you see in the blank spaces outside the dot will only seem to reinforce the inevitable journey home to that single point. It's as if in a universe of nothing, there's suddenly something, and all things are now measured in relation to that one thing that point. That point, that dot, has become a center, and as a center, it now exists in direct relation to the space around it, so that what is around it ultimately seems to emanate from it and return back to it, just like the wandering gaze that eventually comes back home to the dot. All stories told about the paper now speak of it, and the trajectory of all stories involve a wandering from it and a return to it, leaving again and coming back home into infinity. This dot, of course, that you just drew on the page can seem insignificant. It can be used to convey smallness, a speck, a grain of sand, until, of course, we come to realize the grand place that such dots, such points such little round drops hold in our universe. You know, our universe. This very same universe, in fact, is thought to have come from such a dot, a singularity. Only that dot was thousands of times smaller than the dot you drew on the page, to the point that perhaps that point had no dimensionality at all. Imagine that, an entire universe compressed into a little shining point. And if you really want to bend your mind, ask yourself... If the whole universe was in that point, what was outside the point? 
you two in this body that you know as you came out of a single circular dot, a zygote, a fertilized egg too small for the human eye to see for at least the first few weeks after fertilization, until a rush of explosive cellular force expands the dot that could be you, or could be me, or your child, or grandchild, or your grandmother, or grandfather, into the visible in an expansion of Big Bang-like proportions. All of us, every person you see, in fact, began as a single point, on a planet that looks rather like a little blue dot itself, within a universe that was once simply a point. For something that we tend to associate with smallness, the dot or the point carries enormous implications in our culture. Linguistically, we reach towards such defined points the same way the eyes wander back to that dot on the page. What was the point of that conversation, we say? Or get to the point, as if thoughts and conversations and exercises are ultimately intended to come back to a singularity, a unified point of vision. We emphatically end our sentences with little points, periods, so a dot indicates a moment of pause, a latency almost, a brimming potential, like the singularity just before it explodes into the universe of the phrase that comes after it. And then, if we add two more dots, suddenly that frozen moment of potentiality has become a continuum, a flow. In this way, the dot is a marker, and it's a marker that humans have been using for a very long time. Places of particular sacredness within Paleolithic caves are marked with dots. Bodies of trance practitioners in certain cultures are marked with dots. In India, when a statue or a place is marked with a dot, it is a blessing, an acknowledgement of that place, that the place is worth bringing our attention to. It draws our awareness there, and as we'll see a bit more later, wakes up the place itself. It's like a mark of blazing awareness. The blessing dot applied to the forehead in India indicates, among other things, the awakened consciousness, the open third eye, a point of luminous focus that is awakened in the person in the form of a single dot. This point on the forehead relates to what we speak of as single-pointed focus, single-pointed concentration. You know, the ability to hold that point, the point in one's mind without wandering off, to center ourselves around a point, to see the light at the end of the tunnel, which, if that light is a long way off, looks at first like a little dot. This single-pointed focus is also why the dot, or the drop, or the point, bindu in Sanskrit, occupies the center of meditative mandalas or yantras. The yantra is a geometric configuration that all emanates from a single dot, and so it depicts an articulated expression of consciousness, a harmonic artistry that all grew from a single dot the same way that our universe sprang from a singularity, or the way that complex and intricate ideas all spring from a single focused thought. The dot sits right at the center, and everything grows from it. So far from being an image of smallness or insignificance, the single point, the dot, communicates a lot. In fact, in India, there are songs devoted to the point, texts that extol its radiant qualities, practices designed to connect us back to it. Bindu, the point, becomes everything, both cosmos and consciousness all in one. The whole point, the point of everything, one could say. And the journey to get to the point 
is a poetic and visionary journey indeed. Today on the Emerald, the poetry of the point, all of cosmos and consciousness in a little round dot. Some rare mornings you can wake up to a world covered in dewdrops, a landscape dotted in little crystalline points shining in the morning light. The morning I proposed to my wife was like this, way up on the bank of a mountain lake in the North Cascades, dewdrops throwing off silver and gold hues into the morning, enchanting. And of course it was like that whole moment was suspended in time, suspended in a little drop. Zen master Dogen saw the human consciousness like a little drop of water, a dot, a point that when awakened is like a clear crystalline dewdrop reflecting moonlight. One circle reflects another. When a person attains realization, he said, it is like the moon's reflection in water. The moon never becomes wet. The water is never disturbed. Although the moon is a vast and great light, it is reflected in a drop of water. The whole moon and even the whole sky are reflected in a drop of dew on a blade of grass. Moon, sky, dewdrops, dots within dots, circles within circles. Everything in nature manifests as circles, Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote. The eye is the first circle. The horizon is the second. He's right. Our eyes are circles and they reveal to us a circular field of vision through which we see the circular horizon of a circular planet, which is one of many circular bodies in orbit of a circular star. Or as Lakota mystic Black Elk said, the power of the world always works in circles, and everything tries to be round. In the 14th century, Pope Benedict XI was looking for the greatest artist in the land so that he could commission artwork for St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. The artist Giotto di Bondoni, more commonly known simply as Giotto, had a great reputation, so when the Pope's emissaries went out to gather submissions from artists, they naturally went to him. Other artists were submitting great works to try to win the business, showing off their talents, so needless to say, the emissaries were surprised when Giotto simply took out a blank piece of paper, painted a circle, and unceremoniously handed it to them. The Pope understood the ability to draw a near-perfect unbroken circle takes a great skill, and perhaps all other skills grow from that skill, just as universes arise from a single dot. The Ensho calligraphers in Japan master the art of painting a circle with one brushstroke. You've probably seen them, these beautiful circles, so simple, yet so much there. In its simplicity, the circle is oneness, totality, an unbroken whole. This wholeness emanates from a center. The circle is a circle in relation to a center, a point, whether invisible or visible, which utterly defines any configuring of shapes that comes after. As Michael Schneider says in his highly recommended book, A Beginner's Guide to Constructing the Universe, creating one central point from which to radiate a circle is the beginning of all geometric construction no matter how complex it becomes. The steps involved in any construction are a metaphor for the stages of the divine ongoing process of creation itself. 
anywhere you place a center, you can scribe a circle and symbolically create the space of the universe itself. So everywhere we make a dot, we have a point of focus, we have a center, and entire universes can unfold in an artistry of deep intricacy from that single point. Imagine this, one of the largest life forms on the planet, the giant redwood sequoia tree, which grows over a hundred meters tall, sprouts from a seed that is three millimeters long, about an eighth of an inch. Or imagine a blue whale, which grows into its full majesty from a dot smaller than the period at the end of a sentence. The potentiality latent within each tiny dot is cosmic. The Vedic seers saw the cosmic nature of tiny dots, they envisioned the entire universe as emanating from a single embryo, a golden point called Hiranyagarbha, which expands outward from center until it becomes all that breathes and blinks. Sometimes called the universal seed, this point or dot contained with it all the information of the universe to be, all the math of creation to come, so that its expansion outwards was more than an explosion— in the same way the growth of the redwood from a 3mm seed into the most finely tuned hydraulic lift system that exists in nature is not an accident. Instead, the outward expansion of this single dot of light is an architectural unfolding, creating the firm ground and the vaults of the heavens, the waters that flow from sky to river to sea and back again, but whose overall volume remains remarkably the same measuring out light and space and time like a mandala growing from a single point, like a redwood from a seed. So the universe is a seed, and the product of the seed, and it is both at once. In other words, the universe never stops being a seed, because there is nothing outside of it. Imagine that. It is a self-contained drop of infinite potentiality and the actualization of that potentiality in one. An eternal seed expanding eternally into itself, emanating from itself, returning to itself, always, truthfully envisioned as both a single point and as a limitless expanse all at once. Says tantric scholar Andre Padu, the single point, the universal dot, the bindu, includes diversity while transcending it. Or to quote Abhinavagupta, the 11th century Kashmiri genius mystic, the supreme drop is the undivided light, the luminous seat of sun, moon, and fire. This light exists of itself totally free from the variegated things, and yet is the source of all variegated things. Universal oneness with all potentiality in it. That's the point.
In India, this point of universal oneness is honored as a smooth black round stone. The round featurelessness calls to mind infinite emptiness, a sphere of space-time, the void. Yet it is also a distinct thing. It's like an egg, a singularity about to crack open into infinite expression, into blue whales and redwoods and Japanese ink paintings, all the harmonic configurations of energy emitting right from that single point. In this way, the bindu, the drop, the point, is vibratory power, the power of energy to create. It is a concentrated drop of sound, and that sound is creation. That sound is the word that reverberates outward from center like ripples radiating out from a pebble in water and becomes all this. In the beginning was the word, and the whole alphabet of creation exists within that single dot, a whole grammar of creation, in fact. The bindu in Indian thought literally does contain the alphabet within it, the syllables that will form the womb-like building blocks of creation, the matrikas, the mothers, dwell latent in that little dot, the same way the entire coded blueprint of the redwood is somehow in that little seed. Just as for us the dot is a period, a cosmic pause before the next sentence begins, the dot in Sanskrit has its grammatical place as well. It is a specific sound, the sound mmm, the mouth in its most condensed state, drawn in like a dot, humming with the potential of the flurry of distinct words to come. As if that dot itself was a mouth that had drawn in all the potential energies of creation, all the percolating wombs of manifestation not yet given birth, all the mother syllables from a to ha, we would say a to z, and condensed them, drew them into the closed pressure cooker of itself, the sound mm, from a to ha to mm, aham, aham, which means in Sanskrit, I am. So the dot is a condensation of all the energies of creation gathered into a single luminous humming animate point pulsing with the resonance of a single word, I am, ready to burst into that song of ultimate self-identity, the universe, I am. The same song the zygote sings as it starts translating the alphabet of the genetic code into the full expression that will become the blue whale, the redwood, the condor, you, me, all from a single point, a point called I am, the dot on the page, the mind in meditation, it drifts and then it returns, condensing inevitably to that point, I am. The breath inhaling away from center, I am. Returning back to center, I am. And in that sublime expression of identity, then ultimately the dot is seen as consciousness, luminous consciousness. As Padu says, Bindu, it should be noted, is luminous. It is a concentrated sound vibration, a drop not only of energy but of light. The energy of the word manifests, emits the universe through a pulsing radiant light, sparkling, effulgent. Bindu is the luminous point arising from the reflection of the sun that is universal consciousness upon the mirror of its own energy. It is undifferentiated unity of consciousness, 
the soul and radiating source of all energy. I am. That's the point. Some centuries ago, someone, it is debated who, said that the universe is an intelligible sphere whose circumference is nowhere and whose center is everywhere. In an infinite universe, without circumference, where is center? Everywhere. So each of us is the bindu or the dot at the center of the universe. The tiny black pupil of the eye is the center point in the circle of our field of vision. The navel is the center point around which our bodies blossomed outwards and through which we were connected directly to our mother's center, where within the circle of her womb we began as a dot. Our own conscious mind is the center point from which our unique sphere of vision of the universe grows like a mandala, whose outlines are traced on the world we inhabit. Our own hearts thrum with the pulse that is the same pulse that emanates from that universal seed. Quote, the bindu which abides within the lotus of the human heart, immaculate triad between the human being, the divine, and its dynamic power, is a sound, a resonance present in all animate creatures while simultaneously beyond all activity, says Abhinavagupta. Or, from the Dzogchen texts of Tibetan Buddhism, Kye, fortunate-hearted ones, listen. In the secret hollow of precious consciousness lives a luminous drop, the seed of awareness of the present moment. In its essence, it is uncrystallizing radiance, and within the boundless creativity of its compassion, the union of being and awareness of being shines like a lamp in a vase. So the individual being awareness here is seen as a little shining drop. And that drop is pure focus, pure consciousness, ultimately indistinguishable from the drop of consciousness that is the heart of the universe. The traditions of yoga and tantric meditation see the anatomy of the energetic body in terms of channels, winds, and little drops, again called bindus, or in Tibetan, tigle. A good deal of yoga practice over the centuries has been about working with these drops, in fact, you could probably safely say that traditionally more attention is devoted to the movement of drops than the manipulation of what we could call chakras. In some visions and practices, these drops relate directly to sexual essences. The male drop is silver white, lunar, the seminal essence. The female drop is the blazing red fire of creation, the blood of the womb. Countless pages of Hatha Yoga texts are devoted to practices that invert or turn the seed upwards to the head to return that precious essence where it won't be squandered. Like the old yogi in Rajasthan who stared at me through bottle-thick glasses and told me emphatically, you will be most happy in life if you don't lose all your semens. Yet these drops are clearly not just physical drops. They are points of awareness that can be harnessed through meditation. 
And in yogic practice, these drops are moved. They are fanned like coals through the breath of the practitioner. They are envisioned shining, bright, translucent, like little sparks, or little points containing the brilliance of many suns, or even like the buds of trees. The bud of the Kadamba tree, as Mark Diskowski says in his 5,600-page commentary on the Mantana Bhairava Tantra, is perfectly spherical, covered in short bristles that appear to the eye like fine streaks of light that give it a strange, sparkling appearance. The divine resides in the lotus of the heart, says the Sri Matotara. His form is that of a Kadamba bud that shines like a firefly. O oh, beloved, the great and divine self is present there. So the point has now become the bud of a tree, and the home of the divine itself at the same time. In the Kula Radno Dyota, it is a great drop, within a triangular womb resplendent with light rays, and that womb is the source of all the energies of creation. From the Sat Sahasrara Samhita, quote, the point is in the form of a Kadamba bud, and like foam on the surface of the water, it bubbles. Odiana is located there, the omnipresent sacred seat within the body. Odiana is a city, a pilgrimage center, a place of deep learning. So we see the ongoing overlap in Indian tradition of sacred outer geography with inner geography. Why couldn't that point of luminous awareness, that point of meditative focus, that universal source, be both the bud of a tree and sea foam? and a city of learning, and consciousness itself, all in one. From the Yogacanda, by virtue of its vitality, it has thousands of forms. It is an aggregate of energies in the form of a sphere. In one text, it is a drop of unstruck sound in the form of a star. It is, as the Tibetan Yeshe Lama says, a, quote, luminous drop of spacious appearance, shining as its original face, and not dependent upon any cause or causation, an immutable, unitary event. How can we describe it? It's the moon, say some. It is a great body, say others. It is a teardrop a teardrop of the ecstasy of divine self-knowing suspended in its own self-generated space. We have to become artists a little bit to feel it. We have to be poets. Goddess Parvati was exhausted from a long day of demon slaying. So Shiva used the point at his third eye to create a point in space-time, and through that point water gushed forth into a perfectly round lake so that Parvati could cool herself off. I've been to that lake. It's in modern-day Odisha. It's called the Lake of the Point, Bindusagar. There's a little temple right in the middle of the lake, a point within a point. The place where the point is placed, where water gushes through, is a place of transformation. Placing a point allows there to be movement for things to happen. The dot is placed on the forehead to awaken the consciousness. The dot is placed on the sacred stone to bring awareness to it. The points are urgent portals, places where we connect, places where we change, places where we burn the old and embrace the new. So the dot is also a little point of flame. 
if you look at a Vedic fire pit from above or afar, you see a luminous little dot in which the ongoing ritual of sacrifice takes place. That dot is fed continually, fed butter and rice and milk and curd, and takes that fuel and transforms it into light. So the point of concentration is a fire. It is a cauldron, the cosmic cooking pot, as the Triparasundari texts say, in which all of creation bubbles and boils, all in a single dot. That dot is even, according to the Kubjika Mata Tantra, the doomsday fire, the place where universes dissolve, the singularity to which all things return. Seeing the point as a point of fire is related directly to meditative focus. The point of concentration becomes a point in which we burn up that which stands in the way of pure awareness. We feed the blazing fire at the third eye our agitated whirlings of consciousness, our luminous offerings of milk and curd, and it consumes them and returns us to an incandescent singularity. This is the dynamism of the meditative process. Sometimes it's easy to think of meditation as a stiff, painstaking process by which we finally arrive at, what, a blank screen? A zombie-like state? As Mark Duskowski said to a few of us gathered in Varanasi, the thoughtless state is not dead or blank. It pulses. It is the living vibrancy of the pulsing point, which is the fire of dissolution and the womb of creation, all in one. And so we come back to the great journey. The journey of our eyes drifting away from the point on the page and eventually finding their way back. All of our journey in this life, one could say, is to find the point. In the Kubjika Mata Tantra, the goddess goes on a great pilgrimage, seeking to make herself whole again so she can be reunited with her divine love. She goes to the mountain of the moon to meditate. There she finds a shrine on a high hill with a flat stone on it, and she begins her meditation. Through the fierceness of her meditative focus, she absorbs the entire universe into her, and she herself is absorbed into a single lunar dot. When she bursts forth at last from this lunar dot, it is in a new form, terrifying, beautiful, dark, radiant, bent with the force of her own longing. The seismic waves of the power of her bursting forth catapult the universe into being anew, setting forth the architecture of the material world in which she can undertake her great pilgrimage to make herself whole again, to be reunited with her love at last in a single shining point. And of course, that's the point. The journey, the pilgrimage in this world created from a great unity is to find our way back to that unity, to a feeling of belonging. Whenever we encounter worldviews and stories as intricate as these, the question can always arise, what relevance does this have to my life? Or more succinctly, what's the point? Some yogic traditions would have us spend meticulous hours manipulating dots and points within the body to gain particular powers, to be adepts of this or that. To me, unless you want to become a yogic cave dweller and live in isolation, alone with your various luminous drops, there's no need to take that type of practice to the extreme. Such meticulousness and specificity of energetic manipulation can ultimately distract from a more direct, ecstatic, wondrous, present experience of the point. That the point is all this. The birthing, the dying, the struggles, the joys, the journey, the flowering, the fruiting, 
the seeding, the dying, the birthing anew. That's the point. The universe in a single shining seed, that seed in our hearts, pulsing into infinity, always available, always present, ready to be felt, ready to be sung to, ready to be returned to. This feeling of the power of the point has layers and layers of application for our lives. It can add poetry to our practice of meditative focus, can help us feel the point of meditation in a new way. It can help us gain a glimpse, a darshan, of of what center is. It can help us infuse our relationships with the objects of our loving veneration, our deities, our loved ones, our friends, our life practices, with vibrancy and joy and focus. It can even perhaps help us find what the point of all this is. The point of existence ultimately being to get to the point. The point of single-pointed concentration. The point where past and future merge into the present. The point of union. The point of our inevitable shining. That's the point. It's everything. And it's calling us back home. This episode contains references to several books. These include volumes 1 and 2 of Mark Diskowski's 14-volume translation and commentary on the Mantana Bhairava Tantram, or the Tantra of the Churning Bhairava, the section concerning the Virgin Goddess. Three books by Andre Padu, The Hindu Tantric World, The Heart of the Yogini, and Vach, The Concept of the Word in Select Hindu Tantras. Sonic Theology by Guy Beck, Jim Mallinson's Roots of Yoga, The Goddess Within and Beyond the Three Cities by Jeffrey Lidke, The Yeshi Lama, translated by Keith Dowman, The Six Yogas of Naropa, and A Beginner's Guide to Constructing the Universe by Michael Schneider. If you liked what you heard today, please consider becoming a patron. You can find out more at patreon.com slash the Emerald Podcast. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash the emerald podcast there are patronage levels starting for as low as six dollars per month and patrons get a variety of benefits that are listed on the site i hope you enjoy today's episode and until next time may we live lives that are driven forth by imagination vision and wonder (laughs) 